James here. And in this episode, I just want to let you know my guest is a very enthusiastic guest and he uses a couple of swear words here and there. So I just wanted to let you know that in case you've got kids in the car or whatever. We haven't beeped them out just to keep the integrity of the conversation, but we have labeled this episode explicit. Please enjoy Chris Haddad. People need to feel independent sometimes. They need to feel like it's their success and not your success. They need to feel like they're not just getting something because of your aura or your whatever. So I do think it's important. It's that weird balance of like wanting to open doors for people because why wouldn't you if they're somebody you're related to or you love, but also understanding they're the one that has to walk through the damn door at the end of the day and there's nothing you can do about it. This is James Schramko. James Schramko here. Welcome back to my podcast. This is episode 963. We're chatting with Chris, Mr. Money Fingers Haddad. Welcome. That's me. Wow, 963. Holy crap. How many of these a week do you do, my friend? How long have you been going for now? So I started, get this, my first podcast episode was with John Carlton. Mm-hmm. And I think I published that in 2009. Wow. Holy yeah. crap. Damn, man. Well, good for you. My show's only been around for six months now, so I got some catching up to do. Well, you don't have to catch up. It's okay. I'll try and stay in front of you, but <laughs> you better. the thing is, that's why you're here. Yeah. You're here because you have a podcast. I do. I observed your podcast uh, from the beginning. Yes. I've had to listen to some of your episodes. Ooh. I asked you if you'd be able to come along and talk about your podcast because as it turns out, aside from the fact that we have so many friends in common. We do, yes. A lot of people listening to this podcast might be sort of contemplating whether they want to have a podcast or not. So. Ooh. I want to sort of balance this episode between discovering more about Chris Haddad Mm -hmm. and also introducing this concept of, you know, your journey through that podcasting, where it's at. And I noticed some changes just from observing the way you've been doing it, the way you've also built a community around it, which is Mm -hmm. a big clue here, I think. And I'm also curious to know where it's going. But before we do that, I want to tell you about that episode with John Carlton, because Back in the day, I was making info products and I had bought a little portable audio recorder like those press journalists use. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I'd met John Carlton at a Frank Kern event in San Diego mm-hmm. and he kind of blew me off a little bit. Like, um, John? Never. Yeah, he just, no. he was a bit sort of frosty, right? He's a bit of a curmudgeon, John. So yeah, <laughs> it can take a bit to get underneath that kind of crusty uh, outer layer to get him to open up a bit. Yeah. Well, it, it took a Brad Fallon to fix that because the next time <laughs> I met him was in Australia. Brad Fallon was speaking on a seminar circuit. He managed to get me on board and John Carlton was also in that. So we ended up traveling around Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane together and build a relationship. But I remember I recorded that in Melbourne, I think, at a hotel we went to dinner and I said, do you mind if I record a little interview with you? And he's like, oh, okay. I said, I come back to your room with a recorder. And he's like, all right. So I, just, I sat it on the table there and I sort of nervously asked him probably very rookie questions <laughs> about copywriting. Yeah, totally. totally. And that was episode one. And then I, I kept doing a series. I wanted to do an action seminar yeah. review. But I remember him being a little bit cool about that, like, he didn't really want me talking about it, but I did anyway. So that was fun. <laughs> but I met so many people at that event, like Bond Halbert and David Dorsch. Oh, yeah. Like that expanded mm-hmm. my copywriting network. It turns out I know so many copywriters. There's a lot of us. Yeah. And you're all a bit weird too. We are all we You cannot be a, a top level copywriter without being kind of a freak as far as I can tell. Yeah. All the ones I know, like Paris and David Deutsch and John, they're all fucking weirdos at the end of the day. And why is that? Um, I think it's a job that takes a certain level of weirdness to do well. 
Most writers in general tend to be kind of antisocial. Most copywriters are pretty antisocial and introverted. I'm a little weird in that world and that I'm not really all that antisocial or introverted anymore. But I think it's because as a copywriter, your job is to try to see the world a little differently, to try to come up with some angle that's not been heard before. I don't know if you know Jim Rutz at all. He died a few years ago, but that guy was really weird. I got to meet him a few times, but his copy was freaking amazing. But he was just a weird guy with a unique perspective. I think it's just the kind of career that drags that kind of person in. There's also a lot of musicians in copy, weirdly enough. Yeah, a lot of them play guitar, I notice. Yeah, and a lot of funny people. Kevin Rogers, who I'm sure you know, uh, a <laughs> great copywriter, friend of mine. Kevin was a stand-up comedian for years and years before he became a copywriter. And he says that like having dinner with copywriters and having dinner with comedians is the exact same thing, except for with copywriters, the restaurants are better, basically. That's true. Yeah. I've, yeah. I mean, I go deep with Kevin. I actually met him for the first time at Action Seminar face-to-face, but we were already buddies on the Warrior Forum. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And it turns out later he was getting a little bit sick and tired of the feast and famine nature of copywriting. Yep. And we hopped on Skype. And he said, can you help me? And I said, I can. Now take notes because you're going to be doing this, right? And we actually set up copychief.com. Oh, wow. That's yeah. awesome. We birthed That's great. that thing. It was, uh, yeah. that was um, a collaboration of my idea and his genius. And he's taken it all the way. He really like, has. Absolutely. Yeah, he really has. Boss level. Yeah, I've, I've known Kevin for many years. We first worked together at an action seminar, actually. We both spoke together because I think Kevin had been invited by John to speak and Kevin didn't have a lot of speaking experience at that point. So they called me up and said, hey, Chris, will you co-present with Kevin for something on launches? I think it was. And Kevin got annoyed with me. And I was much more of an egotistical prick back then as well, as everyone can agree. But as uh, Kevin got annoyed with me because I literally threw out the entire speech five minutes before he went on stage. And I was like, ah, this sucks. Let's do this instead and come up with something totally different. And we did well anyway, but I I don't think he was used to flying by the seat of his pants quite as much as that. I imagine that would frighten a comedian. I mean, they do improv, but what people don't realize with comedians is they're practicing and testing their Very lines. Very much so. You know, yeah. All the different venues, getting real reaction from the audience. And- well, and every, every single tweak, the way you say every word, the construction of each sentence, when you pause, when you don't pause. Like I know a lot of stand-ups and comedians, and it is generally speaking a very, very precise art form to do right. It is, and, they, and often they seem down or upset in between gigs. You know? yeah. No, copy, copywriters and marketers and uh, comedians too tend to be depressive. <laughs> so I do know a lot of very miserable. I mean, most copywriters I know who are any good are on some kind of medication. So we'll see. Isn't that interesting? I, I recall um, us having great conversations at uh, mm. the bar at certain events. I mean, yeah. I built my network by traveling overseas and attending events and meeting interesting characters like yourself. Yeah. And sometime after that, you came and visited my place in Manly yeah, when I yeah. lived down there. That was nice. Yeah, you had a great view. You were right on the beach there. It was me and my, my now ex-wife. We're in Australia for, uh, we were traveling around for a month uh, and enjoying your, your beautiful country. I found a lump in my testicle while I was there. We didn't have internet. That was an entirely exciting thing. Turns out it was fine, but Australia is lovely. I think pretty much every animal in Australia is trying to kill you as far as I can tell, but that's okay. It sure is. You know, and my daughter is now three and a half. Mm-hmm. Uh, if she sees a spider or something, you know, she goes in there, she has a good look. She <laughs> loves, like, don't pat the spider, right? She's different yeah. to other kids who'd be like screaming and wanting to try and smash oh my it. God. She's just used to it. Yeah, it's just the way things are. I, I saw one actually this morning on the way out. I saw it running down the wall and disappeared into the garage somewhere. Somewhere down there is a, a spider with potential to kill a human. 
We were, at, we were at a restaurant while we were out there. Uh, my ex and I were driving around. We went to some restaurant. I don't even know where it was. There was nobody else around. We're sitting there. And about 15, 20 feet from us on a, like a suspended on a web, basically between two uh, posts or anything is this spider that's bigger than my hand, right? Like, like just fucking huge <laughs> spider. And we're looking at it. We're like, wow, that thing is really big. And the waiter comes over and we're like, hey, mate, like, is that thing deadly? He's like, oh, yeah, that thing will kill you. Like, just like really matter of fact. And then he's like, yeah, don't worry. That would say it's, it's ripe enough. Now a bird's going to come down and eat it soon. And so it's just like it was just had grown big enough that the birds were starting to eye it with lust or something. It's a very different way of living than here in Seattle, where like my wife is terrified of spiders. So it's a whole other thing. Yeah, I, well, I found a pair of blue tongue lizards in the garden, which are about, <laughs> let's call them a foot long. And yeah. uh, wow. they're, they're great. They go and eat all the little spiders and the snake eggs. You know, they, they eat the eggs before the snake's hatched, before it can oh. kill you. So they, they're... It's a, it's a pre-snake, yeah. So you have pet lizards. <laughs> totally. <laughs> Tell me about Mr. Money Fingers. It's an unusual yeah. moniker. Where did that it come is. from? I got, do you know Joe Barton by any chance? You met Joe Barton? I do. He's a health dude. He's a health dude. So Joe is my, uh, I always refer to him as my, my favorite conservative religious person because I am neither conservative nor religious, but Joe and I have been friends he's for- He's very religious. I've seen his- He's very, very religious. Social media. Absolutely. We've had some good conversation. We disagree on most things. Uh, actually, we, we agree on almost everything, but we don't talk about the things we agree on. We only talk about the things that we disagree on. It's a whole thing. But Joe was a client of mine back in like 2008 or something like that. He was my first ever client. I wrote five or six sales letters for him for things from diabetes to back pain to, uh, oh, we did one that was called, um, we call it the math class boner letter because it's for, uh, for, for erectile dysfunction. And I wrote about like when you're a kid, a teenager in, in math class and like you see the hot girl across the room and you see the, and you get a hard on while you're in math class and then the bell rings and you have to stand up, but your dick has gone down one leg of your pants and it's really embarrassing. So we did the math class boner thing. Uh, anyway, Joe and I were just shy. He called me for something, for some work thing. And I pick up the phone. He's like, Mr. Moneyfingers. And I was like, that's an awesome name. And so that became my name ever since I asked him if I could take it. He gave me his blessing. It's been the name of my company and my nom de whatever, nom de guerre, whatever it is ever since. It's a good name. You know, as far as branding goes, it's pretty damn good. I got to say. Love it. We spent some yeah. time together on a Yannick Silver event. I did a few did. of his events back in the day. And yeah. Yeah. It was crazy. We're doing things like the Vomit Comet with Eben um, <laughs> Pagan and Tony Hawk yeah. and oh, wow. Peter Diamondis. Like, Damn, good group. One of my first, um, the first year that I went across to America since I was a kid, yeah. I ended up at Yannick Silver's event. It was 2008 and yeah. I still had a job. Wow. Holy crap. Yeah. And I competed in some prize. And what I was trying to win was Eben Pagan's box set of his um, mm -hmm. $10,000 program back then. Yeah. Much to my surprise, I'd won a different prize. It was that access to Maverick, oh. which was for the million dollar a year ballers, yep. you know. And yeah, seven figure up, yeah. It's like the last thing I really needed. I had to come <laughs> back six weeks later and I'd already used my annual leave. I'd used to, yeah. I bought a ticket on my credit card. I had no wow. time. I was maxed out. I'm like, I just thought, how am I going to pull this off? So, yeah. But I, yeah. I did. And then, so when I I've hung with these people, I implemented some of these traffic techniques I learned from legends like Mike Hill. Oh, good old Mike. Yeah, yeah Mike. And, and ended up quitting my job shortly after I got back from that trip. So that was the start of it all. Like mid-2008, I was on my own from then on wow. and never looked back. That's awesome, dude. Good for you. Jobs suck. Although, of course, you live in Australia, so at least they give you like some vacation time every year. Yeah, you get you get some vacation. I was shocked yeah. actually to learn how little vacations the U.S. gets. But oh yeah, the states are brutal. 
Yeah. They take a little bit of your money for medical and and means you can basically get all your medical covered and you could get yeah, weird. Weird. You, you can get help if you rock up to a medical facility. You could get help straight away for free. Yeah, they'll kick you out here. Yeah, they will just say it's brutal. People that haven't left America, like I know a lot of people who just never go anywhere, and they really do not understand how like there's no like the, how little we help each other in America. How little we allow the government to help us. All of that kind of stuff. Even just like you get you get two weeks a year off is like, are you freaking crazy? That's it. <laughs> And is it weird like when you go somewhere like Australia where there's not really a tip culture and the minimum wage yeah. is enough to actually yeah. live and stuff? It's like- yeah, the tip culture thing is interesting. I was in England speaking uh, maybe about a month ago now. And I do, the, the, I, don't, I mean, the not tipping thing I get, people get paid, but I will say the service sucks. Yeah, Like the true. service in England fucking sucks. And I'm sure it, I hope it's okay. I'm swearing. Um, I'm sure it does in Australia as well, but I, I was shocked. I went to a restaurant. I got like a drink and something to eat. They never came back to check on me. They never asked if I wanted another drink. There was nothing. That would be the same in Australia. Yeah. Partly because there's no workforce and partly because they're satiated with their base level pay. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Which I agree with. I think people, I think people should get paid a living wage personally, but I do wish they would also do their jobs well. <laughs> so. It's not too much to ask, is it? I don't think so. I don't think so. So, Tell me about the pig method. We can't have you yeah. on the show and not talk about the pig method. I, yeah. I saw you sort of crowdsource the naming uh-huh. and the production of this great festival of product launch that you did. And yeah. I know what it stands for, but I, I want you to share it. It's a festival of product knowledge. I love it. That's great. So the pig method, yeah, I did a, I did a launch back in December of last year, 2021, for the pig method, which stands for the punch in the gut method. It's basically what people have been asking me to create for years and years. So people that know me know that I'm well known for being probably the best like emotional copywriter and storytelling copy, like emotional storytelling copywriter using stories and emotions to make sales of pretty much anybody out there. And uh, I finally decided to do the damn thing. So I I ran a launch back in December. We did $750,000 from a Facebook group with no affiliates, no paid traffic, no nothing at a $6,000 price point. I was quite happy with it. It worked out pretty well. Uh, and now I'm enrolling people. We're kind of doing a rolling kind of high ticket call funnel thing now and getting more more people in and getting out there and teaching people how to write copy. I actually just finished creating a product called the FOMO formula that I will be launching at some point, which is my course about how I did that launch and how I got people to give me that much money with no affiliates, no paid traffic, no email list, et cetera. So that'll be out at some point. It's fun. That's the world I've been living in as well. I, I appreciate yeah. what you're doing there. Like people listening to this should know I'm not an affiliate of your program. I'm no. just happy to talk to you about it and mm-hmm. share it. And I made a decision, I think it was maybe eight years ago now, roughly, I'm guessing where I yeah. just switched my affiliate program off. Oh, wow, completely. Crazy. And I thought, you know what? I'm sick of this sort of overinflated people paying. Like yeah. when you buy a product and you know half of it's just going to the yep. affiliate, it, it was like yep. it just seemed – like I didn't want to play that game anymore. I just wanted to bring yeah. products to the market at the cost price. And I wanted people to recommend it because they were enjoying it. Because it was good. <laughs> I've just had like five members in a row join one of the levels of my coaching program because they've word of mouth through their other members. It's just like yeah. this domino cascading effect through this private little network. And they've all come on board and it's, it feels good because you know it's got integrity, right? Well, it's like, it's like ethics and marketing in general, right? Like I, I talked to a friend of mine about this recently because I've done so much stuff in the low ticket relationship advice space, $47 front end into a $97 upsell and that kind of stuff. And you're running high volume, you know, hundreds of sales every day, hopefully, if you're doing it right. And you're kind of churning through people and it becomes a video game in a way, right? Because mm-hmm. you're just like focused on, okay, how do I improve my conversions here? With the pig method stuff and the higher ticket stuff and the stuff that has my name on it, as opposed to my Michael Fiore alter ego's name on it, it's interesting... Um, 
it's good. Like, you know, it's in information marketing. Oftentimes in info marketing, people put together a book on abs or whatever it is. It won't be very good. They'll do really well on the marketing. They'll sell a bunch of it. Their refunds suck, but whatever. It's cool with like the pig method stuff and things I'm doing as myself where it's like, oh, the quality, the material is just really, really good. And I don't have to hype it. I don't have to like pretend I can just say, here's my stuff. Here's the people that have been through it. Here's the money they're making. And here's what they say. It's very gratifying to just be able to just like be honest, I guess, or just like straightforward in what you're doing and be able to feel good about it. Because I have friends who are very successful who I've had conversations with lately where they're feeling ethically compromised by what they do for a living. When I first came online say 2006, 2007, mm-hmm. I was shocked at the lack of ethics and the, like, mm-hmm. why don't these people even, like, if they don't even know that this is terrible, why not? <laughs> like, yeah, um, yeah. so for me, like, I've not done the high volume, low ticket, high refund, crappy product thing. I've yeah. just done the medium to high level, deal with the same people forever type program. Yep. Like, yep. I have got clients in my highest level program who have been with me for 11 years. Holy crap. That's crazy. And with my revenue share partners, that's clocked up to six years now with the same partners. I like working with the same people for a long time at a deep level of integrity. That's my favorite thing. When you get to know them, you get to know the the students too. And I had some students not that long ago. We were on a call because I love my students. I call them my kids, but I, I love them. They're great. And one of them was just like, well, Chris, you really seem to care. And I'm like, I, I do care. I, of course. I care. <laughs> yeah, it's like, that shouldn't be shocking. <laughs> Why wouldn't I mean, yes, I like getting paid for what I do, but I also really, really care about the people that I'm teaching and that they're getting good. I'm not just here to take their money and run like some people are, unfortunately. I got it told by one of my bosses once that I care too much. Ooh, wow. Yeah, I was a sal- that's when I was a salesperson. Incidentally, uh, yeah. I was like the number one salesperson in the whole of Australia for Mercedes Benz. <laughs> and he was telling you you were doing it wrong by caring too much. Correct. Right? Yeah. yeah. Was, and it was, that was, I was going against the grain in that industry for sure. Yeah. I'm just a little bit older than you. I think you're 45. I'm 45, yeah. I noticed on your podcast, you speak fast. You're from Massachusetts. Do. do they all speak yes. that fast? They do. You know, it's funny. I actually listened to one of my own shows the other day because I generally don't because I don't really want to hear myself over and over again. But it's funny because when I listen to podcasts, I typically listen to them at either two and a half to three times speed. Generally speaking, three X is kind of my normal like audiobook and whatever kind of speed. When I listen to myself, it's like 1.5. I have to slow it back down to something reasonable because otherwise it goes crazy. Massachusetts is known. People do talk really fast and we don't, we don't enunciate it very much. They just kind of talk like this the entire time. People don't understand what you're saying. But I also speak really quickly, even for somebody from Massachusetts. So it's something I have to be aware of. When I go on stage and speak, I always start off by going, okay, when I start talking too fast, wave your hands over your head like this. And it's a good way to get like the audience engaged and whatnot. And then they usually do within about three minutes start waving at me. So I've actually had to slow down my pronunciation taking into account an international audience. Oh, yes. Like you, I found the average US podcast just way too slow. Mm -hmm. It's just like, oh, my God. It's it's arduous. It's freaking arduous. Could get out and walk faster. So this sort of cadence that we're speaking at, this is very normal for my part of the world. Yeah. And I appreciate it, but it's something I noticed different about your podcast. Mm -hmm. I also noticed you started off with episode numbers. Yeah. And then you went to the guest name, and now you're going to topic name first. You've changed the codec Tell me about that. Yeah, we keep swapping it around. Uh, I'm not even telling you, know, we started off with the numbers because we thought that would be a nice way to do it. Then I was like, hey, I think we just need to get the names further up front in the episodes and such now. And now it's, I think, I think it might be the title and then the name now, but I really, I think it should be the name and then the title is how we probably will end up doing it ultimately because the name of the person, it's, it's an interesting thing to figure out because with my show, 
I don't want every guest to be a big deal person, right? Like the, the goal is not to be like, let's get the biggest names I can possibly get on and, you know, do whatever with them. My goal is to like bring people I find interesting on who I'm going to have an interesting conversation with. And if they're not somebody who's quote unquote famous, cool. Like who cares? That's not really the, I, I feel like if I do this consistently and do a good job for a long time, it'll work. That seems to be how podcasting works to me. It's about consistency more than anything else. So I, I wonder about like whether it makes more sense to put the title forward or the name forward, depending on kind of how famous, quote unquote, the guest actually is. It's a fun job to figure out how to do this whole podcasting thing. Like learning how to ask the right questions when and such is really interesting. I have some experience in this. Yeah. You've got like, you've got, like hundreds of episodes of experience. <laughs> yeah. Well, we didn't number the episodes to way down the track, like probably in the five yeah. or six hundreds. Then we like, wow. yeah, I pruned off some shit episodes. Mm -hmm. So we put a big spreadsheet, like delete these ones fix this one. And then we numbered them. We retro numbered them back. Wow. Why, why was that? What's the, what's the thought behind that? And should I do that with mine? Cause you're, you're much more of an expert on this than I am. The reason I did it is it's so much easier to reference a number and for someone to go and find it. That is true. That if is I true. say I, we're, this is episode 963, we're chatting to Chris Haddad. I might say that halfway through the episode Yeah. and we'll put this episode up on jamesshramco.com. Yeah. We'll also summarize the episode into some show notes. You can go and grab if you want extra value. Yep. Right. So the number helps people and I search for it. Actually, you know how we solve our own problems a lot of the time. So yeah. I might speak to someone and say, oh my God, you should listen to this episode I did with Chris Haddad. He yeah. was talking about yeah. not needing affiliates, right? And then I'll say, what, now where was that thing? And then I start looking for it. I search my own site. Yep. Sometimes it wouldn't come up easily. So I actually asked my team to do a list all page on my site. <laughs> I think it's jamesstramco.com forward slash podcast. Yeah. And that list every episode I've ever done. Huh. It's a long list, but they're in order. Yeah. And we also used to individually transcribe every episode and then put a separate lead magnet per episode. Oh my God. Wow. Which is a little bit of work. So in the yeah, end, I said to the team, you know what? Once people opt in once, give them a, pay, a download page with every episode. So again, if someone goes and listens to episode like 327 yeah. and they opt in for this, they could scan down the list to find their download. So it's just a bit easier when you get volume. That's a good idea. I'm going to make a note of that because it's a thing that, again, there's all these things you just kind of figure out as you go, like when you're kind of juggling. And you're spot on about fame, right? Yeah. I never decided I want the most famous people. I don't yeah. need my Seth Godins or my trophy guests, right? Yeah, totally. Often yeah. they're crap. I'm not saying they all are, right? But no, sometimes I believe that. I believe that, yeah. Some of the most famous names are miserable guests, right? Yeah. I'm happy to champion unheard ofs. And I'll tell you, you, you actually nailed this straight out of the gate. I don't know if it was on purpose or by accident, mm -hmm. but your very first episode. Yeah, Pauline. Yeah. Right. That is the kind of episode that sells whatever it is that you sell. Because case study episodes have time and time again proven to me that that's what will convince people to buy from you. That makes sense. When you take a person they've never heard of that has yep. got a result that they would like to have, that's more powerful than some super famous, like Steve Jobs, Zuckerberg, all these famous names. We hear about them, but we just disassociate. Like we're not going to be multi-billionaires. Yep. What works for them isn't going to work for us. But you take a Pauline, just a normal, regular sounding person. Yep. She's been through your program and become yep. super successful. Hey, that's the result I'd like. This guy might be onto something. I might check out his pig method or whatever. Yeah. So I think a podcast is for conversions. I don't know why you decided to do a podcast, but for me, mm -hmm. and I think Dean Jackson is on the same page. Yeah. If someone listens to you for a while, they get a vibe on you. It's like yep. the perfect test drive. And if I keep bringing along guests who I've helped get a result and they say it, 
Yep. And I've had people like Pat Flynn come along and he is famous. But when he says it, that's extra good, right? But yeah. if regular people, like I've got numerous case studies, people who came along, found me, got a result, and they come and share it. Yep. And I'll tell you how to put that into your follow-up program, by the way. Oh, cool. So for the pig method, mm-hmm. you would send a follow-up email at some point. It could be an NPS, a net promoter score. Okay. It could just be an organic thing. It might be, hey, how did you like the pig method, right? If it's an NPS and they give you a 10, that's an automatic, would you like to come on the podcast and talk about it? Oh, that makes total sense, yeah. Right, it's so simple. It's an automatic system for generating positive case studies. I I have a student who just used my stuff. He went from making, because he has like like a $150 program, and he went from making one sale every three or four days to making three or four sales a day just because he did this thing. That's the podcast episode. I'm like, dude, you're coming on my show. He's he's very emotional about it too, because he said he was actually in some trouble, and now all of a sudden he's making four or five hundred bucks every day and it's giving him what he needs to actually get his business going again, which feels awesome. The other thing to do is catch him early. Yeah. So I get him early. Like I had Clay Collins on there when he was still doing a lead player, right? Yeah. I charted his progress all the way through to basically selling out of lead pages. Yeah. Ezra Firestone. I got this guy when he's making a hundred grand a year, right? Wow. Crazy. All the way through to $65 million. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. And we even did a podcast together and- I had like at one point I had five podcasts, but I can tell you I, I got to the point where, you know what? It's better if I just have a masthead podcast and I bring my guests on. So what I do is I have the same guest over and over again. Hmm. Some of my guests I've been on 12, 20 times. Holy crap, wow. Right, so this is, these are things that you don't see on every other, every other podcast. Yeah. Most people are like, oh, I'm going to get the most famous person possible. They're going to sure. share me to yeah. their list and I'm doing it for leads, right? Yep. It's not. It's like go deep get the same people back and go deeper and deeper and deeper and build that relationship, get case studies on completely. I call this a, it's a non-famous person case study. It's like an underwhelming case study. Like even what you (laughs) think is a small thing, like for someone to go from one sale a week to two sales a day. Oh, it's huge. It doesn't sound much, but the amount of people who would be thrilled with that result is huge. It's life-changing. There's no better test drive than having them on your show and talking about it. I like what you're saying about podcasting being about conversions as opposed to lead generation, though, because I've certainly gotten, like my Facebook group, I ask people how they found my Facebook group when they join it. And we've started getting a fair number of people saying they found it through the podcast. But I always think of the podcast as like, once I get somebody into my ecosystem, I, I know I'm pretty good on camera. I'm pretty good on the show, whatever. I know that if people are exposed enough to my personality and weirdness and knowing what, I, what I'm talking about, that a percentage of them will be like, hey, this is the guy for me and will want to buy stuff. There's also people who fall into my world and are like, this is not the guy for me. And I'm like, good for you. You should go somewhere else then. That's totally cool. It's like, isn't selling a process of disqualification in a way? Totally. It should be anyway. But it's like, if you're not going to be the, so much of like marketing is a personality based business now, right? So it's, you got to find somebody you actually want to hang out with. I'm sure you and I, in some ways, teach very similar things. Oh, we, uh, everything we've talked about so far, it's like, apart from the earrings and the mustache and the, the hat and glasses, <laughs> right? We are on the same page. Like, exactly. It's, it's yeah. rare that I'll find someone who's actually figured this out for themselves, right? Mm. I'm often telling people this, but I've done everything in a counterintuitive way, really. Yeah. I've never really done it for the ads. Yep. I'm not getting Chris Haddad on the show so that he can go and share it with his Facebook list and say, hey, this mm-hmm. is great show I was on or whatever. Yeah, totally. You know yeah. what? I'm doing it because whoever's listening to this can learn from you and pull out some great insights, especially if they're thinking about a podcast. 
Here's, here's a question I have for you about the podcasting thing. Yeah. I've guessed it on a fair number of shows over the years. I enjoy doing it. It's a good time. Sometimes people will come to you and they're like, okay, you're on the show. We need you to promote five times, like day one, days, like there's this like, huge kind of like, and they don't even ask you first, right? It's like you're on the show. And then after you're on the show, they're like, okay, well, now that you've been on the show, we need you to do all these different things to promote. And I'm like, I'll post about it on Facebook, man, but I'm not going to like give you five days of mailings to my list and all this other stuff. I always just go to people and say, Hey, your show is going to be this Friday. I would love it if you would give us some promotion love, but if not, that's okay. What's your kind of like theory on that as far as using it for traffic generation? I mean, that's an outrageous request. Yeah. They're invited you on their show as a guest yeah. because yeah. obviously they're doing it because it's going to serve them or their audience's yeah. needs. Right. Yeah. It's not acceptable to ask them to mail five times. Like no one, I'm not mailing for no. anybody even no. once unless it's like no. incredible. I've got a golden rule with email. It's really yeah. straightforward. Yeah. Someone has to be better off for opening the email. That's a great way of putting it. I like that. So, you know, when you get these launch bandits who send 16 emails on the last day of a deadline, oh, like yeah. that just creates an F you type reaction for me. I'm like, they don't respect me. Not at all. They couldn't possibly hand on heart say that I'm going to be better off for getting these 16 emails. That's just selfish behavior. Right. That's outrageous. Well, that's like seeing marketing as a video game instead of seeing them as people, which is easy to do, right? Like it's easy to fall into that trap. And pretty much so I've cut a good living off just being a good person and caring about people, right? So the way that we approach it, and this is what will happen to you, actually, I'm going to promote this episode. We will publish it on Apple, of course. Mm -hmm. It'll go on Spotify and on SoundCloud. It will go on YouTube and Facebook organically. We organically upload the whole episode because I couldn't care less about trying to get the Apple ranking, right? Oh, so many different clips and all that, yeah. We'll pull little snippets generally and share them on socials, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. LinkedIn should not be ignored, by the way. I, you know, I, I've never really spent time on LinkedIn and I, I'm on like the LinkedIn, uh, LinkedIn lunatics subreddit, which shows people doing crazy shit on LinkedIn, but I haven't really used it. I don't yeah. spend any time on these platforms either, but my team do this for me. Mm. So I've got a tiny little team of six. That's what runs our business. Nice. My only cost in business is my team yeah. and they are fantastic. And for that team of six, we can get everything we need done in our business. All the, like, I'm not going to edit my own podcast. Yeah. No, God, why would you? I'm not going to publish it. So I'll put together an email. They'll send out an email to our database yep. uh, that will alert people. In the first day or so, you're going to, we're going to get about 2,000 downloads of this podcast. Nice. Good deal. And you're going to see people jumping across to thechrishaddadshow.com. Is that right? Yep. That's it with a yep. H-A-D-D-A-D. So two Ds in the middle. Yeah. Thechrishaddadshow.com. We'll also link to it in our site. But over time, now we probably will put your name in our title because titles drive SEO. Yeah, totally. And you do have a, a worthwhile yep. name, right? I'm, I'm, I'm well, relatively known in the right circles, yeah. Mate, you're everywhere. I was like to you, Mind Valley videos and all sorts. You're super oh, sure, famous. Yeah, Don't be there. so humble. Yeah. Super duper famous. Yeah. If someone's mm-hmm. famous, I'll probably put their name in the title. If they're an unknown, probably not. Yeah. It depends, right? Because yeah. I want to drive the best title that I, that's going to get the clicks and your name will actually get more clicks than if I didn't put it in there. So. Yeah. There'll be some, I, I've been told by some people, and again, I don't know how many, but I know like a couple of friends of mine have said I got m- close to the highest number of listens for their show that they've had, which always feels kind of nice. That's good. Yeah. You're going to get people coming into your group and they'll say, mm-hmm. I heard you on Shramco's podcast. Yep. Cool. My podcast used to be a different name, but I changed it because everyone kept calling it Shramco's Podcast. What is it called? Is it just called Shramco's Podcast? Shramco's Podcast now? It's just jamesshramco.com. I don't even have a name for yeah. my membership, which I've run since 2009. 
I was thinking about names quite a bit for this. I was going back and forth on it. And I've, I know I saw that. At one point I thought about calling it Balls Deep with Chris Haddock. So I thought that'd be funny. And I like to try to. I think you would. It's funny to you, but I think it would exclude people who could yeah. get value from you who could be yep. offended by it. Yeah. That was my thought. So eventually I just decided to, there's a bunch of podcasts I really like called, uh, they're from this company called Parcast, P-A-R-R-C-A-S-T. And their shows are all true crime related things, right? So they have one on serial killers and the name of the one on serial killers, guess what it is? It's serial killers. And they have one on cults and the name of that show is cults. And they have one on unsolved murders that's called unsolved murders. And I was like, sometimes you just got to call it what it is. Like, cause this is like a search so standpoint. So. It's not about being clever. It's about making it easy to find. And I'm like, well, people are going to come to the show for me. So I'm just going to call it my name. Makes it easy. Again, you, you nailed so many things out of the gate. It's shocking yeah. in a way. Like you, you shouldn't be this good at it. I listen to a lot of podcasts. Yeah. Well, see, I don't listen to podcasts. I should. <laughs> I think it would improve. But, you know, when I started, my podcast was internet marketing speed. It's like a cheesy yeah. name in hindsight. And then. Then I ended up sort of growing up the brand a super fast business, yep. but I retired that and I've switched to a personal brand. Yep. It's the era of the personal name. And people listening to this podcast, I'm the common denominator here. Yep. And over time, if, if my audience keep calling it that, I might as well call it that too. People call my show the Chris Haddad's podcast or Chris Haddad's show, right? They're not going to call it whatever title they're you They're not going to call it with. Balls Deep with Chris Haddad. No, they're just not going to. And it was, it was a little too clever and a little too arch and whatever else and would push some people away. But it's also like, I want to get my, you know, I used to have another show for my Michael Fury brand. My alter, I have an alter ego named Michael Fury. He's a relationship advice expert. I went on the Rachel Ray show and we built a, an eight figure business out of it, all that kind of stuff. And we had a podcast we did 150 episodes of, and it was 30 minutes every episode. We did three of them at a time. And it was all just Q&A, right? So we get questions in from the audience and I would just bullshit and make jokes and answer stuff for half an hour each time. And we called the show Digital Romance Radio. And that was a huge mistake, right? The biggest mistake I made in that entire thing was just not calling it the Michael Fiore show or the Michael Fiore relationship show or the Michael Fiore relationship advice. I should have just called it the Michael Fiore relationship advice show, right? And that would have been the best name for that. That would have helped us get a lot more traction with it. This is a great topic because yeah. now I understand why you got so much right. You do have experience under the belt. I just I have some experience. Yeah. I just watched a YouTube video of a climber who pretended to be a novice and went to a climbing school in America to, to oh, yeah? practice and he and worked his yeah. way up to the things and the guys in the end like, hang on a minute. Wait a minute. You know what you already know what you're doing. It's not this guy. He said and he had millions of views on this video. It's like yeah. I've been studying YouTube videos lately because I work closely with Pat Flynn, for example, and mm-hmm. he's another example where he started out as smart passive income yep. and he's outgrown it. Yeah. He should be Pat Flynn. This guy is famous in his own right, right? So you just got to put the name out there, man. So there you go. Yeah. If you're listening to this and thinking of a podcast, one big takeaway so far is that using your personal name, if you're up for it, is probably a winning move. Yeah. We'll continue on. Why did you start this podcast? If, if it's if it's a personality-based show, right? Like that's the big the big key. If it's a personality-based show. And I also just think like- well, that's, what, that's what's always held me back, right? Yeah. I used to be a robot, a machine. <laughs> you were actually, yeah, I got to say, you do yeah. seem looser than the last time I talked to you, which is nice. Yeah. I've definitely evolved, right? I, yeah. I surf now. I work 15 hours a week. I've Woo-hoo. got a, you know, I used to, Back when I met you, right, it was a long yeah. time ago. I was over a decade, yeah. Probably working seven days a week. I was very oh, machine. Man. Like I had a big yeah. business. We had sixty-five people. I was in the zone. I think I was really just continuing from my work career in my personal business. But I've just because you were already a workaholic in your previous career, and then you were like, "Oh, if I work for myself, I still need to be a workaholic." Basically, right? 
No, what happened was I went from a a seven-day-a-week industry, which I was in from 1995 through to 2008. So Mm -hmm. you feel like when you're in it, you feel like that's everything. It's kind of like if you're at war right now, you would feel like that's your world. It's your bubble. Everything all the time, yeah. It took me years to cast it off, to change, right? So I've changed almost every aspect of my life in the last 10 years, really. And I'm living the best version of my life now in my 50s than I was in the 30s or 40s or 20s even. So. It's amazing and great and inspiring, but um, yeah, I'm a totally different person. People who haven't seen me for a while would think, okay, this guy's changed. What's changed? I can even look at my old content and see like, oh, who's that fat, bald, (laughs) you know, like whatever. It's like- Who's that fat, bald, tired looking guy? Yeah. No, in your case, right, you did a whole episode around divorce- Um, I did. Scott Rewick. Oh, sorry, yeah. That was a good one. You have talked openly about mental health and mm-hmm. other health matters. Yep. I imagine you've been using this as a sort of a, a journal in a way of, you know, sure. self-therapy. Um, for me, the podcast has been... So a lot of what I teach is about being vulnerable and open and honest in your marketing and whatnot, right? So like people ask me, what stories should you tell in your marketing? I say, tell the stories that terrify you to tell, right? Those are the ones that are going to have the most impact. Those are the ones that are going to have the most bonding aspect to it, et cetera. And so I feel like it's kind of my responsibility if I'm preaching that to go out and be the one doing it. So I'm very, very open about my stuff. I have bipolar disorder. I got diagnosed bipolar two, six years ago now. James knew me back in the day when I was a bit more of a maniac and, and would scream at people occasionally and was a bit meaner. I think you used to get into social media fights occasionally. I did. I don't do that nearly as often now, but I used to get into some social media fights. Mark Joyner's got a good product on this. It's um, Oh, yeah? On social media fights? Verbal jujitsu. Ooh. I think Mark and I got into a social media fight once, and I don't remember who won, but I thought it was interesting at the time. Well, he, yeah. he, maybe that was the catalyst for him creating the course. But it might have been. It helped me deal better with uh, trolls yeah. or negative comments, which I don't get many of, thankfully. I love trolls. I love them. I love trolls. I'm into it. I, I, I know you did a whole episode on that too. I tell people to troll me. Yeah, with Daniel Thrussell. But I'm like, I tell people to troll me. Please go for it. The reason I do the show... So you know me pretty well, people that know me pretty well. I got really sick with Lyme disease about eight or nine years ago. And so I was making millions of dollars in the relationship advice niche, doing great with that. I was, you know, going on television, doing all this other kind of stuff. Michael Fiore was becoming a thing. If I hadn't gotten sick, Michael Fiore probably would have become like famous and I would have gone on to more television shows and things like that. But I got hit by Lyme disease. That took me out for several years. I kind of came back from that. Then I got hit by the bipolar thing really hard. Lost my mind for about three and a half years. Got on meds. That was six years ago. It took me five of those six years to get to the point of stability where I could even work. And then I was starting to do this pig method thing. And I was like, okay, well, what else am I going to do to kind of make this work? And I was like, okay, well, I'm, I, I have some experience with podcasting. I enjoy it. I've got a big personality. Let's kind of put it out there. It's also the podcast, honestly, beyond... I find the benefits of podcasting really interesting, right? Because if you just say, I'm going to do a podcast, people would say, okay, it's for leads, right? It's a traffic generation thing. For you, you say, okay, it's not really for leads, it's for conversion, which I also, I think it can work for both of those things. For me, beyond that, the two biggest things beyond leads and conversions that I've seen from podcasting are one, networking. It is an amazing networking tool. Sure. You can, like, I, got, I have Rory Sutherland coming on my show next week from Ogilvy. And it's just because I went up to him at a thing we both spoke at and said, hey, you want to come on my podcast? If I just said, hey, do you want to get on Zoom and chat for an hour? Who knows what would have actually happened there? But if it goes on there. And then also, I do speak fast. Oh, it's weird. Um, it's good. No, I'm with you. Okay. Also, uh, I needed something I had to do on a regular basis. 
right? So I've lived a life, especially for the last eight or nine years. Like I didn't, I barely worked at all for six years. I made good money, you know, not what I used to make, but I was making, you know, mid six figures to high six figures without really working for like six or seven years there. And that was great, but I was mostly just getting stoned in my basement and crying all the time because I was uh, mentally (laughs) ill. And my wife, my wife is dealing with a pretty significant illness that really took the wind out of my sails for a few years and things like that. So getting the podcast on the calendar, all of a sudden I had something I had to do, right? Every week I have to do this. I have to show up. I have to kind of prepare for it. I can't show up stoned to a fucking podcast show. I need to like be there. And that was incredibly valuable for me, just getting back into a rhythm of actually working and going to my desk every day and being involved with that. But for me, it's, it's I would say the mental health aspects of podcasting are at least as important to me as everything else that comes along with it. I love that. And I, get to, and I get to share with people. I get to take people like you or Scott Ruick and we get to, instead of the show being like, Scott Ruick comes on and talks about how to scale your business, which is cool. Like we need those kind of shows. That's great. But I'm like, Scott Ruick comes on and talks about how, even though he's made tens of millions of dollars and is incredibly well-respected in his field, blah, blah, blah. He used to go home and his wife hated his guts and treated him like shit. Let's talk about that. Right. Like that's kind of this, I just feel like I can bring something different. You said before you're looking for things to ask and ways to take the podcast. For, yeah. for me, I, I figure if someone really wants to go deep in the copywriting and stuff, they can go and buy the pig method. Totally. Totally. Yeah. You know, my audience are buyers. They buy books, they buy courses, and that's mm-hmm. great. Cause well, come buy my shit, people. You'll like it. I swear. <laughs> they will, yeah. They're an intermediate to advanced bunch, and I love oh, them awesome. for great that. Group. Right? Mm-hmm. They're intelligent. Yep. And they give good feedback. Very good looking, too. All of them are very, very good <laughs> Super. Yeah, super yeah. good looking. Mm-hmm. I'm always thinking, what is the real story here? But for me, the real story is, okay, this guy's done it all and now he started a podcast and I'm watching it and it's going well. But I want to know from the source, you know, how well is it going and what's it doing for you? You've just answered about six of my questions in one hit. Totally. You know, like why the podcast, what's changed for you, the guests, the networking aspect. For me, one of the big outcomes of a podcast is what an amazing education. I've had 963 opportunities to learn something and like it's been amazing every time I pull something out of it it's changed my life some of the guests I've had have given one little snippet or a saying or a mantra that's helped me for example I like surfing Mm -hmm. and I sometimes take myself out in really challenging conditions which I will today by the way Mm. so this could be the last episode who knows well fair enough but I brought along a performance coach a mindset performance coach who coached the multiple world champion Mick Fanning and he gave me this NEAT acronym, N-E-A-T. Okay. What is that? He said, like setbacks and challenges or whatever, which as entrepreneurs we get, they're normal, right? That's the N. They're normal. Uh, it's a part of life. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. E, we should expect it. We shouldn't be shocked or surprised or knocked off course because we're expecting it. And the A is accepting it. You know, that's the part where we, you know what? Okay, these things are normal. They are part of life. They happen. And I'm going to accept it. And T is tidy up. Do your mental tidy up. Fix it, learn from it, change your course, and then move forward. Feels kind of feels a bit like stoicism to me, right? It feels a bit too because I I feel I feel like I'm a little bit stoic in my own life, and then I'm like, shit happens, shit's going to happen, more shit is going to happen, and that's okay. Just like you have to find your time because I've been through a fair number of tough things like a car wreck and Lyme disease and bipolar and my wife getting sick and all that kind of shit. But I also have a lot of great things in my life. You know, I've got enough money that I don't worry about having to go to a job every day. I have a, a wife who loves the shit out of me and all the other kind of things. I think it's important to celebrate the good even when there's a ton of bad. (laughs) I think it's really, really important. One of the sayings that helped me out a lot is that things happen for you, not to you. Ooh, yeah. Interesting. When you think of through that frame, everything that happens, happens for you. Even if that's a divorce or a sickness or whatever, there's Mm -hmm. there's always, um, Mm -hmm. I mean- 
basically if you go back to yin yang, right? Yeah. You can't have light without shade. They coexist. Yeah. I mean, yesterday I placed myself in a stoic situation. I do this sort of resilience exercise. I drive up to my local national park here. It's nine minutes away. Mm-hmm. I park. It's raining. It's a little bit cool. I put on board shorts and a little two mil wetsuit top. I put a board under my arm and then I start walking. It's like wet bitumen, bare feet. I walk down to the national park and then I walk through the national park on this lovely path through the nature. Like pretty much everything on either side can kill you. Mm, of course, because it's Australia. That's what Australia is. And then as you keep going a little further, it gets a little more remote and a little more remote. And then, this, then the pavement turns into dirt and gravel. And then now it's starting to get a little hard on the feet and a little bit cold. And you also need to do a wee because you drank a lot of water before you go. And now, so you're starting to notice all these little pains and little less comfort, basically discomforts. And then you walk along and then the bushes open up and you see out and there's this like these landscape of corduroy lines of waves rolling through the bay. Wow. And you just get like this excitement. It's like a little kid at Christmas, the night before Christmas. And then so you walk a little bit faster and you, and the path gets more and more windy. And then there's a gate. It's blocked off. Warning, danger, do not enter. So, of course, you go through that gate <laughs> uh, onto the next bit of path. Now you know like there's no one here. But you're making a choice to, to get into that danger. There could be a landslide. Yeah. If a snake slithers out and bites me, it's, yeah. I'm done. And you keep going, keep going. It gets harder and then more steep and more windy. And then you go down this final track and you're almost there. Just a short distance between you and the water. But now there's these big football-sized wet rocks that are slippery as hell. So you oh put the board God. under one arm and you hold the rocks with the other arm and you slowly in bare feet and your feet are getting wedged and contorted and pushed into little crevices like you're inching across. I'd say it's about 20 feet yep. of wet rocks down to the water. And then when you get in the water, there's still rocks in the water, so you have to turn the board upside <laughs> down so it doesn't hit. And then there's these huge roaring waves with whitewash pouring in and you have to time it to sort of get out without getting smashed back on the rocks. And then you, you get out, now you're there, and it's like the anticipation of that first thing. And then out of the ocean, these huge waves arc up. They're the size of a school bus or bigger. Oh, my God. And you paddle for it, and you get the adrenaline going, and then whoosh. And then you get like eight or nine turns. Oh, my God. And then uh, I check my watch when I get home, right? Oh, by the way, I catch that wave to the next point yeah. and paddle around the corner and then catch it to the next point and around the corner and then the next point. So I did four points. To put it in perspective, it's about five miles oh my God. in the water and I caught 10 waves and when I checked my watch when I got back, I clocked up a 39 point something kilometers an hour, which is like 26 miles an Holy hour. Holy crap. I'm guessing. Wow. And the longest wave was 375 meters. Jesus Christ. That's so like probably 350, 400 yards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's insane. And then, then I just uh, walk back to the car, hop in the car, go home, have a shower, make myself a coffee and then I go and pick my kid up from preschool and I'm like... Holy crap. Like I dropped her off. I pick her up. But in the meantime, I just went on this like wilderness adventure that you can't even, I'm not doing it justice in the way I'm describing it. No, but it's like, but there's that freedom, right? You're experiencing that freedom of just like. (sighs) My whole body just like switched on. I survived. It was exhilarating. It's like, but being in a position where I can, this was on a Monday. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. This was a Monday. I I forget what day of the the week it is all the time because it doesn't really matter in my life that much, generally speaking. Same. Well, for me, there's only two types of days. There's a day where it's a normal day where everyone's doing stuff. And then there's other day when everyone's crowding my space. It's really just about how much traffic (laughs) there's going to be that day, right? And it's like, oh, it's a weekend or it's a weekday. It's going to be harder to get somewhere. Yeah. 
And now I live in a seasonal holiday place, oh, sure. so it gets extra, extra crowded mm-hmm. when there's school holidays or seasonal events, and then it gets empty. <laughs> there's a big variance between peak and off-peak. That's fine. But I've I found my little spots. Yep. I want to ask you about your guests. Yep. Have you found it very, very easy to recruit guests? Um, so far, so good. I just kind of ask people I like and know. Like, I'm going to ask you to come on my show at some point. It hasn't been hard yet. I'm usually about three weeks ahead kind of with whatever the show is. And oftentimes I just run into somebody I think is interesting and I'm like, hey, you should come on my show and we should talk. Or like my buddy Brad Weimert's going to be on there, a bunch of others. You know, it is 52 shows a year. So we'll see when I start inviting the same people back because I'm sure I will in the non-distant future. But I'll, I, I kind of feel like once a year for people is a good place to start. And then I'll see if it t- makes more sense to have them back more. But so far, so good. So far, it's easy. And I, I feel confident that I can make a good show with almost any guest. So I'm not too worried about like how good they are because I have confidence in myself and my ability to get good things out of them. Yeah, I think I think that's a few good points there. Yeah. I'm the same. I'm organically recruiting guests. I have had periods because I've been doing this a long time yeah. where I've run out of content. Yep. So my team have a trigger. They're like, I'll get a, a message, boss, we need an episode. <laughs> we're, ready to, yeah. we're ready to publish something. Other times I build a bank. So right now I'm trying to build a bank so that I can have two months off because I'll be overseas for two months mm-hmm. and I don't want to record anything while I'm overseas because yep, yep. I won't have the good mic, the good life. Yep. So I'll build a bank. Yep. We publish two episodes a week. Wow. I've tried one a day. I've tried one a week. I've tried one every two weeks. Yep. I've tried three a week. What I've found is two episodes a week kind of doubles the activity of one episode. Yeah. But three episodes didn't make much difference at all beyond two. So it was a very big diminishing return. Yeah. So it seems two a week is a great cadence. It takes me in real terms less than two hours a week to sure. record those two episodes. Yeah, totally. So I don't touch it after that. I'm interested in your case. Do you have someone handling production? Yeah. So what I did, my entire contribution for the show is I record it and then I forward the Zoom link to my assistant and I tell her the name of the show or whatever we're going to call that episode. And then I walk away and I don't have anything else to do until the day it comes out when I write the email that goes out to our broadcast list for it and I post on my Facebook and such like that. So we have a company, uh, this guy Tega, who's in England, he has a team that does the actual production and the editing and just make sure everything gets put together and put up on the various places. And then, yeah, but it's, it's, it's like, you know, my job is to do this. My job is to be the face and to be the voice and talk the thing. And the, the thing we never want to do is have bottlenecks in my way. We don't want to make me a bottleneck as far as like, hey, you need me to export something or you need me to do that. So it's really built around making this easy as me for, as possible because that's going to get as many shows as done as we want to. You've nailed it. Like it's shocking to me how many people are still editing their own podcasts. I can't. That's it's amazing to me. Yeah, totally, man. You don't have time. <laughs> yeah. It's I, I I would I would never get the show done if I had to do. I have the time. I just I'm actually not. Good well, that's at it. true. I, <laughs> I don't want to do I'm it. I'm not good at it, and I don't want to do it. Oh, here's a fun thing that you'll appreciate. This I have this thing called the theory of learned incompetence, and here's what it is. Years and years ago, I lived in Los Angeles and I worked for this guy named Mark, who was an executive for this uh, digital rights management company I was working for in LA. And I discovered that at that point, I was his assistant and I was the guy that could fix the photocopier, right? So, and I figured out at a certain point, I'm like, shit, if you're the guy who can fix the photocopier, you are always going to be the one fixing the photocopier. But if you're the guy who, when you go near the photocopier, it bursts into flames, you'll get promoted. Yeah, that works in the kitchen as well yeah, and absolutely. For cooking and yeah. for house cleaning. Mm-hmm. Just be really bad at things you don't want to do. Yeah. As a kid, you know, like I grew up in a playpen in my dad's garage working on cars on oh, a wow. weekend, like I'd very handy mm-hmm. with tools and I used to pull my engine apart and rebuild wow. it. 
I would not have guessed that about you. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they used to um, make us cut the rubber mats and install the number plates. Wow. And, and I thought this is bullshit. Yeah. Like I'm supposed to be selling. Yeah, that's your right? job. So I just decided I'm not going to be handy anymore. <laughs> I went up to the this guy Barry. I said, Barry. Do you know how to cut these mats, right? Uh, and like I'm dropping the tool or holding the knife the wrong way. And he's like, let me do that for you. Yeah. Turns out Barry liked beer and we came to a great arrangement. Fair enough. So that works so great. It's important not to be good at the small stuff. And I think it's very, very important to suck at things you don't want to do. But it's super common for entrepreneurs who are really good at something to stay in on the tools too long. Yeah. Like I've had customers who will have a service, they go and sell a service to people. They hire people to do the service, but they're still doing that same service for their original clients that they can't let go of. Like years later, I've had that happen twice because they can't get off the tools. Mm -hmm. So it's a really important thing. Well done for not publishing your own podcast. No, no, uh, no way. I mean, I know myself. I've I've had, I've had team members too for a while. Like I've been reasonably successful for a while and I learned year, it took me a long time to learn how to delegate and to learn how to let other people do things for me because my personality just the way I was raised in my particular psychology, I really fell into this trap of being like, you have to do everything yourself. You are the only one you can trust. You are the only one that can do these things. And it took me quite a few years of having employees to eventually be like, okay, that's their deal. That's their responsibility. My responsibility is this. It's an interesting one because it is true of an entrepreneur. Like the, who is it? Someone was saying, uh, I think it's Gary Vee. He talks about that he will take responsibility for everything. So he has no expectations of anyone else. Sure. As entrepreneurs, yeah. like it is kind of true. If it's meant to be, it's up to me. No one's going to come in and just gift us or yeah. we're not going to win the lottery. At the same time though, yeah, being two hands on the things that are holding you back. That's why I use this tool, Effective Hourly Rate. In my book, I talk about it. But it's a nice way to measure if something should be done by you or someone else. Mm. It's like only doing very high value activities and not doing low value activities. I often have to say this, like when I was in cadets at school mm-hmm. and when I was in the car dealership, I could polish my shoes like so well that you could see reflection in them. Like I was very good at it. Mm-hmm. Does not mean I should set up a shoe shine store. I, I had somebody once tell me I'd be a really good accountant and I'd be like, that's actually you know, an even funnier one. I've had people tell me several times I'd be a really good father. And I'm like, yeah, you're probably right, but I'm not going to have kids. So it's great. Well, you've got your copy cubs, right? I do have my copy cubs and they're- Do you have fur babies? Uh, no, we have one. We have one tiny little fur baby named Dobby, who is a, a 13-year-old Chihuahua wiener dog mix who was raised in a hoarder's house, an animal hoarder's house. So he has like scars all the way down his back and he's he's an ugly little thing, but we love him. Yeah. I love that. Mm-hmm. By the way, when you've got enough episodes mm-hmm. under your belt, what we do each year is like a top 10 because we're publishing about a hundred episodes. Sure. We look back and we're data driven, like what were the top 10 episodes mm. and we publish them every year. We do that. We get a lot of listens to that episode, but also the people in the top 10. Yeah. Oh, they get excited, right? They seem pretty enthusiastic to share their yeah. win. And yeah. to, um, so like Trevor toe cracker mm-hmm. cook, yeah. he's, he's had two in the top 10. Right? He's all over promoting this yeah. podcast. Like he's a big fan. I got to have him on. Yeah. I haven't, I haven't talked to him in a long time. Oh, he's a great guest. Like I've had him back heaps, like three or four times now. And I'll continue to have him back because he just brings fantastic value for my audience, yep. which is my main driver. Yep. Right? It has to be value for the audience. 
And uh, so that's one way you can do it. You can pay attention to you know what the audience actually, aside from what they tell you, what do they actually yeah. do? What, what is the data saying as opposed to what are they? Preference versus performance. Similar to when you ask somebody, when you're doing copywriting, right? And you like ask people what they want or what they'll respond to. And you're like, well, they'll lie to you. They don't even know. They don't even yeah. know what they want. So look at the data, not at what they say. Of course not. Yeah. The preference versus performance phenomenon. Yeah, exactly. Where do you see your podcast going? Where from here? That's a good question. Um, my plan currently is to keep it going every single week for the foreseeable future. This is a long-term play for me. I will not be pod fading or anything like that. This will be around for at least four or five years, I would guess, unless something happens to me. I see it as a vehicle to just try to get myself out there more and see what happens. And I'm hoping that it'll lead to me doing more speaking gigs and other stuff like that. But I don't have like a, um, I'm not really a goal-oriented person. Really? Like I'm not me neither. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. I'm not somebody I never woke up one day and said, Hey, I want to be a millionaire. I never like decided I wanted to be a relationship expert. I definitely wanted to be a millionaire. Well, I'm not gonna lie. Yeah. But it's like when you tick some boxes, it's like that moves away. Yeah. And then it's like for me, I recognize that I feel like a lot of people are doing things for significance. And yeah. I imagine being since you're an emotional storytelling copywriter, you would probably already know that in spades. Yeah. People seem to do a lot of things so that others can say, oh, awesome, you're awesome, you're amazing, I want to have kids with you, let's breed, like, you're the best. Yeah, I don't, I don't really, it's interesting because I don't need that at this point in my life, right? So, like, I live a life where, it's a really weird thing, I live a weird life in general, but I live a life where people treat me in like a, like a famous person sometimes or they, like, give me lots of compliments and blow smoke up my ass and things like that. And when I was younger, I needed that, right? I fed on that like it was candy because I, I had no self-esteem and I was angry all the time and I had the bipolar thing going on really hard, et cetera. So I needed that. Now I don't. I really don't care. Like, I don't really care if anybody knows who I am or not at this point in my life, except for it's a useful way to build my business and maybe help some people, right? So it's good to be at that point in my life where I'm not, I, I personally think anybody who is seeking out fame for the sake of fame really needs to take a step back and think about what they're doing to themselves. Because real world fame, I think is a toxic, toxic thing for humans in general. Like real, like you are like Brad Pitt famous, that cannot be good for you in any way. Yeah. And look, as a parent, it's yeah. on my mind with kids, because if you ask a kid these days what they want to be when they grow up, it's not a policeman or fireman. Yeah. It's a YouTuber. Yep. Yep. Every kid wants to be a YouTuber, but I don't think they want to be a YouTuber if they knew what's involved. Well, the word, you know, especially my ex used to talk about wanting to be a doctor or something, right? And I was like, well, do you want to go to school for the next seven years? She's like, no. I'm like, then you don't want to be a doctor. Like, then you just don't want to be a doctor. Like, that, that's what it takes to be a doctor. You just, you just want to have the letters after your name and get to wear a white coat, but you don't want to be a doctor because a doctor has to go to school for eight years and then work 60 hours a week or 100 hours a week and all that other kind of thing. Yeah. And it's, you know, a doctor could be quite limiting in terms of, you know, the leverage available to you Absolutely. In, in life. Well, because you're, you're trading hours for, you're, you're trading money for hours at that point when you're a doctor. You're a very high paid kind of thing. Yeah. Plus you potentially, you could get sick a lot. You probably have to go to an office. You, you and I are probably similar. I would hate that. I would hate that. Dislike for that. No way. By the way, we hit the jackpot earlier. You said to me something that I look for in every single Ooh, episode. I'm that? only sharing this because you're a podcaster. Yeah. You said to me, that's a great question. Mm, yeah. If I can't elicit that response in a podcast, it probably isn't good enough to be published. Absolutely. So, I, I find that interesting too. I'm always trying to find the... There's like, you are right though. There's those moments in the show when you get it, right? Like it feels like that first, because my shows usually go an hour to an hour and a half or so, right? You do have longish shows. Yeah. I noticed that because obviously I research. Yep. I, again, if I'm going to have someone on the show, I pay them at least the respect to do a yep. little bit of research, yep. to find out more about them. 
if they've got a book, I read the book. Yep. If they've got a podcast, listen to the podcast. Even though I don't listen to podcasts, I listen to Chris. <laughs> yeah. The other night, my wife and I were listening while, yeah. while we're there and just to get a vibe for what's going on. Yep. And uh, you know you know if it's going to be a good one or not. You get a sense for yep. it. But yeah, it's about the vibe, right? And for me, like the reason I do them as long as I do is because I listen to a fair number of podcasts. And I have never like... It's very rare I think a podcast is too long, right? But it's pretty common that I think a podcast is too short. Because, you know, I go for these long walks, right? And I have my iPhone, I have my headphones on, and I pick out the podcast I want to listen to, and I hit play, and I go on my walk. And usually I'll wait a few weeks to listen to one show because I want to have multiple of them kind of back and forth. But like, there's times when I'm like, man, that show was only half an hour. At triple speed, that's 10 freaking minutes, and then it's over. But the shows that I get the most involved in and the most interested in are the ones that are at least an hour, sometimes two hours, sometimes three hours. And I also feel like when you're having conversation-based podcasts like what we're doing right now, it kind of takes a while to get to the meat sometimes, right? You have to kind of feel each other out a little bit. Gretchen, I also have shows where with like Pauline where we're talking about her almost wanting to kill herself by driving into a tree within five minutes of starting the show, but we kind of know each other already. But I feel like what people want from my show anyway, and maybe from shows in general, is to feel like they are a fly on the wall of like me talking to other people that really know what they're doing, basically, is kind of my, my theory on it. So it seems to be working so far. I have had people tell me they thought the show was too short a couple of times because they're like, that one was only an hour long. I'm like, yeah, the, the guest was, di- the guest, by the way, you'll know if a guest is easy for me to get stuff out of or not, if it's only an hour. If it's only an hour, that means I'm like, fuck, we got to an hour. Okay, cool. Otherwise, it's, there's other ones where it's like an hour and a half, two hours long, and we could keep going <laughs> forever. Oh, you should be... Um- pleased to know that like my episodes are usually quite short and we've gone well and truly much longer this time for two reasons one is because i know you do long podcasts and i felt like this might be quite comfortable for you it is yeah and two is it's great content and i'm really enjoying this it's like we we are it is a fly on the wall we are catching up for the gap that we've missed it's been a good opportunity for us to do that in in a way that's leveraged for you too and i'd say with pauline she's just a great student of the pig method she is yeah i love that girl like she's just gone straight for the punch in the gut right on early in that episode yeah she has i'm very very proud of her it's fun to because you're 50 something i'm 45 now we've both been in this business for a while and it is fun to see the people who you teach climb the fucking mountain right it is fun watching people who you had any kind of impact on suddenly be like, I, I've gone to like copy conferences where people are lining up to talk to Pauline. Right. And I'm like, that feels, that feels better than when people come line up to talk to me and get pictures and shit. I'm like, that is amazing. Watching somebody that you taught who you care about kind of reach that level and the look in her eyes and the money she's making and everything. It's incredibly satisfying. I love that the most. Yeah. I mean, I, I really do see myself as a guide yeah. and my client is the hero and i i don't want to collect trophies for myself about being a big headhunter right and that's one reason a lot of the people who i'm coaching have resisted having a coach because they didn't want their coach to go and put them up on the mantelpiece and then uh, yeah. and crow about how awesome a coach they are sure right yeah so I, i've coached a lot of people who many people would never know yep. but you know all the famous people that that would be in the top 100 there's some way that i've done something in the background for them. And that's actually okay with me because I'm not seeking that the fame from it. But I do get a tremendous amount of satisfaction when they go. I've had lots of students go from a million to 10 million Damn, nice. or from 100,000 to a million. But even before that, before I was online, when I was in the car dealership, when I was a sales manager, mm-hmm. I used to hire apprentices. Like they'd start from scratch. They'd sit opposite the desk with me, do their phone calls, write their notes. I'd train them from scratch. And then they'd go out in the field and then they'd start selling. And then They'd get married, they'd have kids, they'd get a mortgage. Like they were building their lives. And I was watching that and feeling 
this immense. Um, it's like being a parent, man. It really is. It is. Well, I am a parent, and it's exactly the same. Yeah, but even before you've only been a parent for three or four years, right? So I think. Oh no, that's not true. Oh, is it true? Yeah. Oh, you have you have older kids? Yeah. I didn't know. Yeah. I've got a lot of older kids. I have a lot of older kids. You're like Elon Musk. 27 year old. Oh my God. A 25 year old. A 23 year old. Oh my God. A 20 year old. James, holy crap. So I'm like a kid factory. Yeah. Yeah. So I've got a lot of life experience, right? Like my oldest kid, when he was a baby, and it's when I was really in my top sales mode, and I taught him everything. The problem with being in the dealership is like, I've. I'm going to leave this dealership one day and I'm not getting any leverage mm-hmm. from all of this. It's great for them, but it's a shame to end it. And if you think about the group dynamics, right, you know, like deforming, storming, norming, yep. performing, and then there's the end. Yep. I didn't want the end. So with the kids, at least I thought, well, I'm going to have the kids for the rest of my life, hopefully. So hopefully, yeah. yeah. Now that my son is in a sales role, he's developed sales training programs and he's getting great results. Awesome. And he comes back to me when, when we chat, he says, this stuff's feeling very natural for me. I'm like, Gee, I wonder why <laughs> you learnt this before you could even yeah. walk. Well, it's like you like it's like you being in the crib next to your dad building a car, right, or putting a car back together. You just the osmosis is real, yeah. Oh, he'd say, "Dad, I'm hungry." I'm like, "Great." And he go, "Can you get me breakfast?" I'm like, "I could, but maybe you can get it yourself." You know, how do I get that? I'm like, "Well, get the things you need. What will you need for breakfast?" And then we talk about the milk and the cereal or whatever. I'm like, but I can't reach the cereal. I guess you can't reach it now, but if there was a chair there, you might be able to reach it. So push the chair. And we built him up to the point where I'd come out in the morning, he's just sitting there eating his own breakfast. Like he's so independent and got all these skills. And then, and then, and then you get scared when all of a sudden he's like building nuclear bombs in the basement or something because you've made him just way too self-reliant for any, any child to be. Yeah. It's like when a dog starts being able to open a door, you know, you're like, Shh. not the nuclear bomb, but the fourth one, yeah. he got too far into the computer oh, and, that and um, pulling him out of, he's out of it now, which is great. But that was, as a parent, that's the most difficult life scenario I've ever had. You talk about telling the stories that, are, yeah. that frighten uh, yeah. you. Now, the first one's got exposed to a lot of technology and then the, the last one, it was just so normal. That was the whole world and it's yep. like, holy shit. That, like by day I'm a business coach, I'm helping all these ballers perform, like I know all the answers, yep. but then this kid was the most challenging thing I've ever had in my life to solve that puzzle. It's not an easy one. And all the usual answers, you know, I turn the computer off or smash it with a sledgehammer. Like they don't solve anything. <laughs> you got to go way deeper. And, and I'd say parenting has been a great teacher for me in life. But also there's no way in the world I would have got off my butt and taken a high-performance sales job if I didn't have a kid coming and impending doom financially. I can see that. Hey, here's a question. Here's a question for you about yeah. business and general stuff. When I got into copywriting, it was out of desperation, right? I had been fired from every job I ever had. I, my last job, I was making 24 grand a year as a greeting card writer, got fired from that for reasons. I, I deserved to get fired from every job I ever got fired from because I was a shitty, shitty employee. And then I was forced. I had no choice. Like I was a very uh, socially anxious person at that point in my life, but I had to learn to get out and be social and talk to people because I had to make some money and otherwise I wouldn't be able to do it. I know people who have what I think is the worst possible thing when they're starting their business, and that is a safety net, right? So there's people that you meet who have a spouse who makes good money or something like that, and they don't need to make it work, and I find they often don't because of that. So do you think that having financial security from a partner is a positive or a negative when people are kind of starting out and building a business? I think if you're talking about external motivators, I feel in my case having no safety net. Mm -hmm. And for context, you know, my family, when I grew up, we were quite wealthy, but then there was a financial setback Mm. in this recession in the 90s. 
And I found myself having to leave studies, which ironically was accounting. <laughs> and <laughs> I, I wasn't very good at the accounting yeah. topics to go and get a full-time job. And where did I end up? I ended up in debt collection. Oh my God. So I ended wow. up with these mad skills yeah. of doing reverse sales. Like I had to make the sale after they already had the product or service. It's really difficult. And then I ended up going into sales, but as a, I think I was 23, found out we we're going to have a baby mm-hmm. and, and uh, like at 24, I'm right. just like basically, oh my God, like two of us earning 35,000, oh. no parent balloon to fall back on. They're, they're not going to be able to be in a position to lend me any money. Yeah, Sydney is literally one of the most expensive, expensive places in the world yeah. to live property wise and so forth. And people, they don't really get this when I say that, but the average house is a million dollars, right? Yep. So it's not cheap. Yep. So basically I was forced to. So I would say, yes, it's most likely that if they have a safety net or whatever, that that could most definitely impair their motivation to move forward. I think it almost always does for people because it's just too easy to, it's like you and I all probably both know, we, there's this um, cliche almost, right? Of the like very successful person with a, and it's usually a guy who's very successful in this particular case because there was plenty of very, very successful women. But the thing that I've seen is like the very, very successful guy and he has the wife or the girlfriend who like decides she wants to start a business too, right? And, but doesn't have the background, doesn't have the experience, doesn't have the drive or whatever. And it ends up just kind of being this thing she's kind of doing on the side that never really gets anywhere. And I think it's largely just because it's like, well, they don't need to make the money. They just don't need to, because there's this other person here who can cover all of the bills no matter what. I think it can be a real, a real negative thing for people. It could also be a positive, And mm-hmm. I'll tell you why I think this. I had a situation where I was very, very busy in the business. Yeah. And I was saying to my wife at the time, I, I've like, it would be great if you could help me out a bit. Yeah. And she said, no, get someone else to do it. So, and she, you know, we had four kids, so it's totally She's fine. Busy. So yeah. I ended up, built my team. But there was this two, there was a lot of dependency on me mm-hmm. and that made things a little bit awkward when there was a change in that situation. In my new life, the thing that I do encourage, I actually do have a business with my wife mm. and it's her business and she's got her own entity, her own team, her own software, and she runs it. And whilst it might not match my business for profitability, or, yeah. I think it's absolutely critically important that she's got her own thing that's hers and she's not dependent on me. Absolutely. She can draw her own income yeah. from her own business. And I feel like that interdependency, mm-hmm. but not being fully dependent thing has been a really important thing in our relationship. Yeah, I agree. My, my wife, unfortunately, got really sick a few years ago. So my wife, you probably met Angie, actually. She used to work for our friend Mark Ling, a hell of a copywriter on her own. And she got a couple of things happened in her career. One is she married me and I am well, no, serious, serious. Like this is the thing we've talked yeah. about. She married me and she is a very, very good at copywriter, but I'm better established and I'm very, very well known in that space among copywriters. And that became very, very difficult for her because she was, and this makes total sense. She was worried that people would think she only got where she got because she's married to me, right? Which totally makes sense. Mm-hmm. And that, that caused more emotional turmoil for her than anything. It's, it's a difficult thing to figure out how to navigate because what, what do you do? And then she got super duper sick for like four years and was not really able to do much of anything. And so wasn't able to make any money on her own either. And that caused, it didn't really cause problems to me because I'm like, I don't mind paying for my wife, especially when she's sick. But not being able to have that independence and make her own money was very, very difficult for her. And something that we're kind of, now that she's actually kind of, you know, starting to get better, she's hopefully going to start being able to make her own again. And that's, again, it's not about being able to pay the bill. It's about her feeling like she can do things for me that isn't just taking money out of my pocket to buy me something, right? Or whatever. Well, that's basically what I'm saying. Yeah. I, I can totally relate to her situation. Yeah. 
she'd be feeling uh, in the shadow. Yeah. That's the way I think. Like, I think a lot of guys cast a big shadow over their yeah. spouse or partner. Totally. And just it makes it very hard for them to know where their own independent life actually is. And, and if they do become dependent, I think sometimes they could just be hostage to a relationship or feel like they never had have a choice. Yeah. That could be very toxic. It can also be very manipulative. It can also be a problem where like, you know, if you're well-known, like you're well-known, I'm well-known, there are people who have tried to get to me through her, right? They've been like, oh, if I make friends with Chris's wife, then I can get close to him and do whatever. And it's like, go fuck yourself, man. <laughs> like, that's not, that's not what we're here for. Yeah. She occasionally gets a friend, but like my wife is um, quite introverted and yeah. completely not public, not known. I'd never post pictures of my kid yeah, or her. Yeah, totally. All I talk about is our business that we have together. Yep. And she's a gun at that. She does. She provides incredible service. Mm-hmm. And uh, they, we find Filipinos for our customers, sure. basically. She's just really good at it. Yeah. And I'm super proud of what she's done and uh, support her in any way that she wants. But I also, you've probably found this, sometimes uh, – People don't want your inputs or it's better not to yeah. to volunteer yeah. it unless asked. Yeah. Do you find that? I do. I feel like there's a couple things. One is like, and you've probably seen this in business in general, when you have employees who want to try something and you're like, that's an interesting idea. But say I've been doing this for like 17 years now. You've been doing it for a really long time now. And there's times when it's like, you want to try that thing? And I'm pretty sure it's going to fail because I've done this before and I've seen it all. But then sometimes you're just like, I need to let them fail. I, it's going to cost me a few thousand dollars, whatever. But this employee or this person I'm working with needs to find out this doesn't work for themselves, right? As opposed to actually me kind of doing it. And then I lost track of what was the actual original question before I started going off in this weird, this weird direction here? Because it was about my wife and the... What's well, about whether people want to take your advice or not? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The, the vice thing. And I think also it's just people need to feel independent sometimes. They need to feel like it's their success and not your success. They need to feel like they're not just getting something because of your aura or your whatever. So I do think it's important. It's that weird balance of like wanting to open doors for people because why wouldn't you if they're somebody you're related to or you love, but also understanding they're the one that has to walk through the damn door at the end of the day and there's nothing you can do about it. It's where I, I mean, this comes up with kids, right? Yeah. If you have kids and you're successful, they could have entitlement, yep. right? That's why a lot of these billionaires, multi-billionaires talk about they're not going to give anything to their kids, yeah. right? They yeah. set that straight early. Yeah. I like that saying, give people a hand up, yep. but not a hand out. Yeah. Well, I think the Bill Gates, the Bill Gates term for that is like, give them enough to do something, but not enough to do nothing. Right. Yeah. So like enough money to be like, okay, you can kind of get started and go somewhere, but not enough that you're just like retired. I'm 22 and I'm retired. What am I doing? Yeah. And I think part of the solution to this, and it might seem a little odd is to actually not be too public about stuff. Yeah. I've seen a lot of the people are probably too sherry on their socials or whatever, and perhaps create their own problems for themselves. I think about money. Def- I was on the phone with um, or on Zoom with some younger guys today who were asking me for advice about working in the relationship advice niche and shit like that. And I was just giving them the general advice I give everybody who is either just now starting to make some money or about to, right? Which is nobody is actually happy for you. So if you go out there and brag about your things, nobody's happy for you. In fact, they're talking shit about you behind your back. So shut the, so save your money and shut the fuck up is like the advice that I basically give. Save your money and shut the fuck up. Don't brag. Don't go out there thinking people are going to be happy for you for getting a Ferrari or whatever else. Cause they're not like, just like, I also just don't think you should put a target on your head out there in the world. It's a fucking crazy world these days. And folks that are going out there and like bragging a lot about having a lot of money are really I don't know, man. I think some shit's coming, especially in the U.S. So, so be a little more careful. Yeah, everyone's talking about it. Germany, Australia, yeah. UK. Yeah. It's it's a global thing. It is. 
Chris, I think mm-hmm. the big surprise for me with this episode is how much you and I are actually on the same page oh, yeah. for so many different topics. Yeah. So it's refreshing. <laughs> it's uncommon that I would find someone who's hit so many points, similarities around yeah. the approach to business, the long-term view. You've got so much right with your podcast. Yeah. I'm a new listener to your podcast and I don't even listen to podcasts. Oh, so. Thanks, man. I've enjoyed catching up with you. Yeah, you too. Some great points. We Remember, your website's over there, thechrishadadshow.com. Yep. Chris is famous for his pig method. I'm sure he'll tell you about when that's available. If you go to thepigmethod.com, you can check out that as well. So I like putting the in the new URL, I guess. Yeah. There you go. Mm-hmm. What advice would you have for someone listening to this thinking that they might consider doing a podcast? Just do it. Biggest takeaway. I would say just do it and don't worry about the numbers for the first year basically is what I would say. You know, I was actually feeling a little down because I was like looking at my show and we're, you know, for the free only being six months in, we're getting a good number of listeners. It's getting some shares, but I looked at it, I'm like, oh, that last episode only got X hundreds of listens or something like that. And I was getting kind of, I was like, what am I doing? Is it even going anywhere? And I, whatever. And then I went to San Diego for TNC and I had like five or six people come up to me and say, Hey man, I listen to your show and I love your show. Right. And I'm like that feel, they were, they were people I had never met before. didn't even know. The main thing I think is it's about, from my point of view, it's about consistency. It's if you're going to do it once a week, do it every fucking week. If you're going to do it twice a week, do it every fucking week, twice a week. And don't worry. Like that to me is more important than having every episode be amazing. It just needs to be there every single time. And you want it to be really, really good, but it's more important than it gets done. And I think also just like focus on the ancillary benefits that the podcast gets you because you can call, you can go to almost anybody and just be like, will you come on my show? And like, there's people I've never heard of who say, hey, Chris, will you come on my podcast? There was one guy, actually, this kid from Israel. He asked me if I'd be on his podcast. I'm like, yeah, sure. And then I get on there. He doesn't really even speak English. He has no questions prepared, basically. It's really, really awkward. I look him up afterwards. Nobody listens to his show, all this other stuff. But I was like, yeah, I'll go on a podcast. So it's an amazing door opening thing. But I would say just freaking do it and commit to yourself that you're doing it every single week for a year. And then you'll kind of, and then I think you'll see the real benefits. That is top advice. Yeah. I appreciate it. And I feel all the more special that you came onto my podcast. Absolutely, now, man. I'm happy to be here. The strict yeah. qualifying criteria. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll have you on mine in the near future. And we'll talk man, about I tell you right now, you're going to get approached by people listening to this show. Oh, yeah. if, stuck it, if they've gone the distance, <laughs> they're going to be like, Chris, I heard you on Tramco's podcast. I'd love to have you on mine. That's and awesome. some of them are actually super legit. Hey, so. man, I'll do it. Call me up. Call me up. I appreciate you so much. I'm easy to find on the Facebook, so it'll be a good time. Yeah. Thank you. And uh, this is episode 963. So we'll put this up at jamesramco.com. We'll we'll put an abridged version of the key points, which my team will meticulously strain out. And I'll also link off to all of Chris's uh, socials and property and uh, Apple links, et cetera. So thank you so much. Thank you, man. This has been super fun. I also just love it. It's like a great way, podcasts are a great way to just like catch up with friends you haven't seen in a long time. Or it's like, hey, man, it's been almost a decade. How are you? Because we're the old men now, right? We're, like, we're the we're the veterans now in this whole crazy thing. That is true. I've I've actually I've I coach a lot of people who reference things as if it's the first time yeah, yeah. that it's ever happened. Yeah. I'm like I tell them the history of the last three iterations of that since you know, <laughs> years back, and they're like, oh wow! Like I actually remember who did it the first yeah, time yeah. Or, and how it went and stuff. It's yeah. great. We're in a very privileged position to have this time. I'm glad the internet didn't turn out to be just a fad. I don't know what I'd be doing and. Uh, Here's to many more podcasts. Thanks, man. It's been great. Thank you so much. This is James Schramko.